Hello, I'm Marissa Schaefer, and I am here at New York Presbyterian Harkness Pavilion with Dr. Asad Siddiqui, who is a doctor of osteopathy. He is also an assistant professor at Columbia University Medical Center in the Department of Rehabilitation and Regenerative Medicine. So thank you for allowing me to come sit with you in your office. Thanks for having me, Marissa. Yeah, of course. Um, so before we get started and before I start asking you a bunch of questions, uh, I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure thing. So I am a physician in the Department of Rehabilitation and Regenerative Medicine, like you mentioned. Um, uh, my primary specialty is in physical medicine and rehabilitation, which makes me a physiatrist. Mm -hmm. And I have um, added training in primary care sports medicine. Excellent. And you also have done some work with dancers, too, which we'll get into. Absolutely. Right? Awesome. Okay. So... Um, I know there was a little bit of confusion on my end, so I'm glad you're here to kind of um, help us figure that out. Um, so you're a doctor of osteopathy with a board certification in rehabilitation medicine and primary care sports medicine, which you just mentioned. Um, so can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about what that means and what falls into your scope of practice? Sure thing. So um, the DO designation is one of two... Um, uh, medical degrees available in the U.S. and recognized across the world. So there you have your MD degrees and you have your DO degrees, and they both have the same practice scope, same practice rights. Um, they so were sort of born out of a different um, philosophy uh, with respect to treating disease. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, being a doctor of osteopathic medicine, um, you know, we go through the same sort of training as um, our allopathic colleagues, um, four years of medical school, I went through four years of residency and uh, a, a fellowship after that. Um, when it comes to what I do um, in, on, in my day-to-day -day practice, I'm mostly dealing with non-operative musculoskeletal conditions. So that's kind of hit your head-to-toe um, all ages um, issues dealing with the musculoskeletal system. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, everything from sports injuries to arthritis to um, your classic sprains and strains. Um, I'm the first line for that. Awesome. So, okay, uh, I was going to ask you about physiatry, but you kind of just answered that. So my question is then, what sets you apart uh, from a physical therapist? So first off, um, you know, we work very closely with our physical therapy colleagues and, and um, uh, while I'm on sort of the medical side of things and our physical therapy colleagues are more on the sort of exercise-based physical treatment side of things, mm -hmm. um, that's probably the main defining line. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, so, you know, we train as physicians, so, you know, um, uh, we are mostly dealing with sort of diagnosis mm -hmm. um so you know ordering imaging when necessary performing procedures when necessary and procedures that kind of fall under my scope i do a lot of ultrasound guided or image guided um injections mm -hmm. um for various conditions you know joint injections tendon injections um, and some advanced procedures as well so um while you know we work very closely with uh, physical therapists um, we kind of help guide and, and work together with them to make sure that we're treating the right thing. That segues nicely into my next question, which is like, is there a team of practitioners that you generally work with? Uh, you mentioned PTs, perhaps they're MDs or physician's assistants. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, physiatry or rehabilitation medicine is a very team-oriented um, specialty. Um, and particularly when you're dealing with the care of athletes, the team typically does involve physicians, DOs, or MDs, um, physical therapists, athletic trainers, mm-hmm. um, uh, physician assistants and physician extenders um, can also uh, uh be useful in clinical settings and as well as you know being uh, coverage on the sidelines and um um at at events mm-hmm. um but yeah it, it is a a very multi-specialty team and everyone has a lot to bring to the table excellent um you mentioned a physician extender can you explain a little bit about who that is or? sure thing so well you mentioned a pa so um a, f- a physician extender is basically someone who is credentialed in uh, the health professions like a PA mm-hmm. or a, f- a physician's assistant or a nurse practitioner mm-hmm. um, who is not a physician but performs clinical uh, duties. Um, athletic trainers can also serve in that function. So basically gotcha. they they partner with a physician to um, um, uh, provide services um, that are supervised by the physician. I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of overseeing them. Exactly. All right. Um, so, okay. Talking now, going to talk a little bit more about dancers. When and why would a dancer or an athlete uh, choose to come to someone with your specialties? Sure. So, the large majority of dance injuries are non-surgical injuries, mm-hmm. and so it makes sense theoretically to to see someone who specializes in non-surgical non-interventional musculoskeletal care Mm -hmm. at least as a start um that does not mean that surgeons are not an invaluable part of the team they absolutely are and and certainly there are injuries that will require that level of intervention um but you want to come to someone who is familiar with the demands of um being a dancer who is um, well-versed in the musculoskeletal system, Mm -hmm. who is uh, comfortable with the care of um, athletes and performers who have very specific goals Mm -hmm. and knows how to sort of tailor a treatment plan to those goals, and and someone who is... you know, interested in in, in what you do. And, Mm -hmm. And that's what I try to be kind of, you know, top to bottom. Yeah. Absolutely. And I imagine, too, with someone who is a dancer or an athlete, um, you want to get them back on stage or back on the field as soon as possible. Does that do you find that that is a different mindset? It absolutely is a different mindset. And, and, you know, as soon as possible is only one part of the equation, because I I try to frame it as as soon as possible and as safely as possible. So that's, you know, and those two things, I don't feel like they have to work at cross purposes. Mm -hmm. I feel like they go together because your health directly informs your performance as an athlete as a performer um, you have to be in top physical shape Mm -hmm. and top health Mm -hmm. to perform at your best and I try to sort of impart that to all of my patients that I work with Um, it can be challenging obviously people have goals and deadlines and performances and rehearsals and 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 um you know that can certainly weigh into your decision making as a clinician um and as someone who's trying to guide someone through the process of an injury but um first and foremost is your safety yeah absolutely so um can you talk to us a little bit about how you came to start working with dancers 
Sir, um, so uh, in my residency, mm-hmm. uh, which I did at uh, NYU uh, Medical Center at the Rusk Institute for Rehabilitation, um, I had the opportunity to work with uh, David Weiss, who is an orthopedic surgeon, a physician who um, takes care of a lot of dancers and performing artists. Um, I think he works with Juilliard and many of the Broadway shows here in in, in New York. Um, So I got to rotate with him, see how he uh, treats these uh, very unique um, individuals with very unique demands and unique physiology. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's fascinating is that, you know, even though he's trained as an orthopedic surgeon and still does surgeries, it was remarkable how much of his care was non-surgical. Just, you know, changing biomechanics, changing up rehab plans, um, and working with athletic trainers and physical therapists. So, you know, it, I I saw it as a very unique population that I personally feel does not get the respect that it deserves Mm -hmm. for the level of performance and Athleticism. Athleticism it yeah. requires, absolutely. So, um, so, so so that was really interesting to me as a resident. And then when I went on to do my fellowship in sports medicine um, at uh, the Stedman Hawkins Clinic of the Carolinas in Greenville, South Carolina, um, I was lucky to be at a program where they had a relationship with one of the uh, performing arts magnet schools for the entire state of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, so the South Carolina... Governor School for Arts and Humanities um, was a location, um, at, like sort of a destination for performing artists, you know, musicians, dancers, visual artists from all over the Southeast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually got to spend the year with working with their student health, doing essentially what would amount to a training room clinic, mm-hmm. where I would go into student health, um, watch it, or uh, see. Um, students who came in with a lot of overuse injuries and and injuries during performance and and so i got a a more of a longitudinal exposure to the care of athletes which was a remarkable experience and it really just sort of reinforced my desire to work with this population when i got back here to new york Mm -hmm. awesome and do you out of curiosity have any dance training yourself or was this a new population for you so i don't personally have any dance Mm -hmm. training um Anyone who's seen me dance would say that I could <laughs> probably use a lot of training. <laughs> um, but um, I grew up with a younger sister mm-hmm. who danced from a very young age all the way through high school. And um, that was sort of my first intro to um, um, the demands yeah. of being a dancer, mm-hmm. even at, at young ages. Um, and it kind of informed um, you know, that experience of seeing how much they do so young yeah. um, uh, kind of informs some of my research interests um, uh, into, you know, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in looking at sort of the, d- um, f- looking at a way to quantify that training load that dancers undergo to find out what is a safe level, how much is too much, and then are there specific determinants that can um, predispose uh, a dancer to injury mm-hmm. and is there a way for us to predict that before it happens and uh, that was one of my next questions that that is some of the research or the the basis of some of the research that you're going to be presenting um at the international association for dance medicine and science conference is that is that right that's right okay awesome so what what got you in 
to that? And is that something you're doing here at New York Presbyterian? It is. It is. So the um, the talk that I'm going to be giving at uh, the conference is more of a conceptual talk, and it's sort of outlining the beginnings of what I hope will be a more robust research plan mm -hmm. going forward. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at other sports um, that involve high repetitions of um, a specific activity, mm -hmm. um, the most uh, uh, high profile example would be um, baseball and um, upper extremity injuries like um, shoulder and elbow injuries, um, which we see at alarming rates mm -hmm. in, in, in youth baseball players. Um, you know, I, y there's a lot to be learned from how um, sports medicine physicians and orthopedists and, and, and the entire um, crew that takes care of that population has worked together to really quantify um, what stresses those baseball players are going through, those kids mm -hmm. are going through mm -hmm. and putting on their arm and how that correlates to their um, injury rates. And it's led to evidence-based informed um, guidelines uh, that um, now do things like limit the number of pitches yeah. um, that limit or that have recommendations about when to start throwing certain pitches. So that's one example of where, you know, understanding the stresses that the performer, the athlete is going through leads to a change in culture, a change in um, training habits that can ultimately, hopefully, and we're seeing it in baseball, um, that can hopefully decrease injury rates. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the literature for, um, for dancers, uh, far and away the, uh, uh, the top category of injury is overuse injury yeah. because you're constantly doing the same thing over and over to get it perfect mm -hmm. and then once you get it perfect you got to keep getting it perfect night after night mm -hmm. um so um it makes sense that that you know if we can figure out a way to um quantify those loads um and then to understand what are the determinants of injury in these um, performers? Um, maybe we can find a way to uh, better train these performers so that they're not putting themselves at risk. Awesome. And so are you looking at professional dancers then or training dancers? or? So right now, I'm just looking to see what's out there. Gotcha. So the talk that I'm going to be giving is um, looking at, um, is really a survey of the literature mm -hmm. to see... Um, what attempts have been made to quantify these types of training loads mm -hmm. or to quantify training load period mm -hmm. in dancers, if any. And spoiler alert, there's not much out there. Yeah. Um, so you bring up a great point that, you know, between even between the different um, the different uh, intensities or levels of dance, professional, pre-professional, mm -hmm. um, youth, and then even within the different styles of dance, those lows might be wildly different. Oh, absolutely. Um, and from genre to genre. Exactly. So um, so what I'm trying to do is kind of lay out a sort of conceptual framework for how do we attack this problem mm -hmm. in a meaningful way where and, and, and really sort of lay out what the research plan should be. Absolutely. Um, so um, I do hope to work with professional dancers. 
um, to understand that, you know, particularly because you're dealing with people who are in a fiercely competitive field who often can't afford to take the time off, you know, because there's there's concern about losing your spot or, you know, and the show must go on, so yeah. to speak, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people who fight through injury at that level. At, by the same token, it's I think it's equally as important to look at the the youth populations and you know f f folks who are having to you know endure dance moms style yeah. um you know boot camp type training yeah. at, at, at ages where their body is not ready to handle it you Correct. know what what are the consequences of that right so there's a lot that we need to look at there's a lot that we need to understand there's a lot left to be understood oh yeah so you could be researching for the rest of your life. Very possibly. <laughs> very possibly. Um, so let's circle back around. I have just a few more questions for you. Um, we've talked a lot about dance and you have worked with a lot of different athletes um, in your career. What in your experience sets dancers apart from other athletes? It's a great question. Um, it's interesting. I, um, I don't think you can draw too much of a distinction um, on the side of, you know, mentality, mm -hmm. um, on competitiveness, mm -hmm. on desire for perfection. That's, you know, the area where I feel like dancers are true athletes. Mm -hmm. um, I think what sets them apart is the degree to which they're willing to push themselves. Mm -hmm. um, Part of that, I think, comes from the external perception that, you know, they're not football players who, you know, took a helmet to the knee. Right. Um, and so the respect that their injuries get and, the, and possibly even the respect that they pay themselves mm -hmm. for the injuries that they have mm -hmm. is uh, just not at the level of, you know, other sports and other injuries and so i feel like they're more inclined to really push through the um the injury when maybe they shouldn't yeah us you know sort of dovetailing with that is the fact that you know because we're dealing with um people who are performing such specific such precise movements you know um repetitively um little things can become big things mm -hmm. Um, very quickly mm -hmm. and um, you know because they aren't you know we're not dealing with sort of gross body movement we're dealing with very fine motor tasks um, the um, you know it it, it it makes me think I remember um, I was seeing a patient with Dr. Weiss once um, in his sort of dance medicine clinic over at NYU and um, it was a dancer who had uh, sprained her ankle mm -hmm. and um i went i examined the patient um you know i looked at her ankle didn't look too swollen um i came back and told him she she turned her ankle the uh, but the swelling is resolved so i go back in with him and he has her do a squat and he points to one side he says you see that little dimple mm -hmm. i said yeah he points to the other side do you see it there I said, no. Mm -hmm. He said, that's the difference that matters to someone who's going to be on their toes um, for, uh, um, for their performance, mm -hmm. uh, whereas 
that may not matter to someone who is, you know, going to be running the 100 meters. Right. That level of swelling can throw off um, their sense of balance, their sense of joint position. And, you know, little things can then predispose them to bigger things. So mm-hmm. if, if they don't have the balance that they need for that particular mo- motion, they could end up with a knee injury. They could end up with a hip injury. So really understanding the kinetic chain, really understanding the um, um, the demands of what they're going to be doing, um, you know, I, I think dancers are in a class to themselves. Yeah. Wow. You just um, brought up so many things that we could <laughs> like, dive into just then. But yeah, I mean, you, you do. You have to go on a, on a fact-finding mission to find the so little true. kink in the chain. Um, okay. I'm... I'm not going to pick apart any of that because we're going to be here for the rest of the afternoon if I do. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to end with the question, what do you enjoy most about what you do? It does not have to uh, involve dancers. Honestly, um, I love the coaching element of what I do. Mm-hmm. And I think when people think about a physician, they don't necessarily think about a coach or a partner. But that's kind of what I see myself as. You know, I, I, I like to say that I work with people i work Mm -hmm. with athletes i work with performers Mm -hmm. i don't treat them um because um there's a lot that there's a lot of what we're ultimately going to do that's going to depend on what that person sitting in front of me tells me Mm -hmm. and so you know establishing that relationship uh the process of getting to to know somebody to you know getting to know what they enjoy doing Mm -hmm. um what they um, are driven and motivated by mm-hmm. and then understanding what is preventing them from doing that thing is paramount and then I love the process of being able to kind of work together to formulate a plan to get them back to doing that mm-hmm. thing and that's what led me to this field um, sports medicine to physical medicine and rehabilitation mm-hmm. um, all of it it's very patient oriented it's very function oriented yeah. um, and it's um, it's great. Yeah, sounds enjoyable. Yeah, <laughs> your patients are lucky to have you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, all right, that that wraps it up for today. Thank you so much again for your time. I'm glad to have been here with you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course, and thanks to our listeners for joining in. And we'll see all of you listeners next time. Okay, bye. On behalf of Ellie and myself, I, Marissa Schaefer, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dance Well Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud and search Dance Well, that's one word, Dance Well Podcast, and subscribe. We will be releasing bi-monthly episodes with an emphasis on exploring 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. Have questions or want to get in touch? Email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.